Welcome to New Mansion Church. What you're about to hear is a message from our pastor, Dr. Jeff Mars Sr. To learn more about the church, visit newmansion.org. God bless and enjoy the message. As we join together to worship the Lord, to serve Him, to love Him this day. You know, we are reminded, first off, how good He is, how gracious He is to us, how loving He is. And secondly, we're reminded that He is just. And the Bible says that His justice will not last forever. That being that there will come a time of judgment. A time when all of this folds up and comes to an end. And that's interesting because we read in Revelation and we also read in Thessalonians about this world being rolled up, wrapped up like an old garment, cast aside as a new creation is made. Everything that we have down here, well, it's old, it's aged, it's dated, it's had Satan's footprints all over it, and God has a better plan. We don't know when, but we know that time may very well be very soon at hand. Well, we are looking at the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 24. If you will turn there with me once again, looking at the Olivet Discourse. Jesus relating to the Jews all of these events that will unfold, that will take place in the last days. Or as they would say, uh, at the end of these times. The end of the world, the end of the age. And we discussed that last week as we looked at verse 13 and talking about the ones that endure to the end will be saved. And Jesus giving a description of the beginning of these events until the final culmination of them. And uh, we progress all the way down to verse 14 today, Matthew 24 and 14, as we talk about the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. What exactly is the gospel of the kingdom, and what does this mean, this this evangelization, as we take a look at that this morning? You know, an article was uh, in USA Today, it's, it's a little dated, it's about four years old, but it struck me this morning, I, I was thinking about it once again, it was an article about uh, people who believe in heaven and hell. And it said that uh, only 59% of all Americans believe in a literal place called hell. Now, 73% of all Americans believe there is a place called heaven. But only 59% believe that there is a place called hell. And yet Jesus spoke more about the warnings of hell than he did about the glories of heaven. He gave us full warning of these things. Well, that was followed up by another article that said that uh, people are happier when they don't believe in hell. So the idea there, the statement there was, if you don't believe in hell, you'll be a happier person. At least here for the, for the here and now, you'll be happier. Whether we choose to believe in it or not, the Bible says it exists, that it is a real place. And we are warned to stay away from it as we are ushered in to the blessings and the comforts of our Lord. And that's what our Lord is doing, you see. He is giving us every opportunity 
to serve him, to live for him, to honor him, and to love him. He's giving us every opportunity to be his people. And certainly you and I, we want to be that. But the problem is, the bottom line says we won't all. We won't all be that. Some of us may appear to be that. But when the the shaking of these events takes place and everything is sifted out, well then we'll really see who is who. You see, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. I can only speak for what I know in my own heart and what I feel. And I have to deal with that and I have to deal with the consequences of my actions and I have to deal with uh, the motives of the heart. And I have to bring myself to a place where my whole desire is to honor the Lord, to love Him and to serve Him. And I pray that's your desire this morning as well, to draw near to the Lord and to honor Him, to love Him with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, as the Bible says, so that we don't have to fear the future that's ahead, because it looks pretty shaky right now. But we can have hope in the Lord. Well, let's read our verse for the for this day. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 simply tells us this, Jesus continuing on. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Well, our thought this morning... The explosion of evangelism. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we come into your midst this morning. So many needs here in our congregation. So many who are sick and hurting, Father. Many who don't know you this day. And Father, we're asking you that your spirit would move and bless. Would bring healing. Would bring strength. Would bring salvation and reunion once again. That you would draw us to the place of purpose and blessing for you, Father. That as you desire to pour out your blessing upon us, your children, that we would be willing to receive. That we would trust in you, Father, for all things. That we would yield to you. And, Father, that we would surrender to your will. We thank you, Father, that you have a way for us. That you have a path for us in this life. That you have a purpose for each one of us. May we be obedient to your calling. And Father, may we trust in you. For all those things that lie ahead. The known and the unknown. That we may be the children of faith. Taking up our cross. And following you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said. Amen. Well, we have spent the past six weeks in what we called Section 1, looking at this this time, uh, these events that take place, the Olivet Discourse. This is the prophetic portion in, in Chapter 24. And we've looked at Section 1, and we finished that up today. That is the end times concerning the nations. And really, verse 14 is a lead-in to Section 2 that will begin next week, which is the end times concerning the nation of Israel, specifically. And so Jesus goes from the general to the more specific, and we'll, we'll take a look at that in the weeks that are to come, but we've already spent six weeks this far looking at this, and, and what we're seeing is we're seeing a parallel to the writings uh, of Matthew 24, the words of our Lord, 
the exact parallel of Matthew 24 and the writings of Revelation 6 and on from there. We have seen Jesus describe to us these first judgments that are described in the book of Revelation, beginning with this time of the tribulation, when God's wrath is poured out upon the world. And he says this will unleash these judgments that come forth. And these first judgments, we look at them and we know of them as the seal judgments. These first judgments, we are reminded, are unloosed by the Lord himself. He is the one that is bringing forth this wrath upon the world. Well, as we look at the writings of Daniel, we're reminded that Daniel described to us 70 weeks. He said there would be a period of 70 weeks. And we see that uh, in the past we've looked at and seen that 69 of these 70 weeks have been fulfilled. And that is that the 69th week was fulfilled with the crucifixion of Christ. And then it would seem that the clock stopped. The beginning of those things many, many years before that. And then for this period of time leading up to the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and ultimately the sacrifice of our Lord upon the cross, the clock stops ticking. And the reason for that is, is because the clock points to Israel. It is a picture of Israel. And we've had 2,000 years of history since then. But we see that what happened was there was a shift at that point. Jesus told us of that. He said, he said, I, I'm going to show you this mystery, this thing that's coming forth, as he says that I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build an assembly of believers. And as he warned the children of Israel, and he said, Israel, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the, the clock stops. It stops ticking for Israel. And now God moves on to you and me. The Christians, the ones who are grafted in, the mystery of the church, the gathering of those who gather together in the name of Christ. And so now God is working with this economy, the church. But this is what we see in our Bibles, that, that just because God is working with the church doesn't mean that he's through with the nation of Israel. He's not through with the Jews. We are not the replacement for Israel. We are the church. Israel is Israel. And ultimately, there's going to come a day in time when God is going to remove the church from this place, he's going to take us away. In that event that, that you and I describe and we call the rapture, the catching away of the saints. And God's promise is that he's going to, to take us to this place called heaven, where we will be seated around the throne of God. And where all these events of the tribulation will begin to unfold upon planet earth. And then you see, as the, as the seal, the first seal is unloosed, the clock starts ticking once again for this 70th week of Daniel, or as we would just say in, in plain terms, the last seven-year period that will take place, the time that you and I know of as the tribulation. And what we're seeing that Jesus is telling us in, in our scripture this morning is this. He says, then the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. And of course our question is, what exactly is this gospel of the kingdom? The Lord says it will be preached unto all the world. Well certainly we have preaching today within, it would seem, most of the world. 
We've gone to the remote areas of the world. We've sent missionaries to the to the jungles and to uh, the barren places and to the islands and everywhere else, it would seem. The Bible translated into so many languages today. Evangelism, uh, it would seem, is, is exploding all around us. But the strange thing that you and I see is that despite our evangelical uh, efforts, despite evangelism moving throughout the world, despite uh, the promotion of Christ in the darkest corners of the world, so much of the world doesn't know the Lord or refuses him in our day and time. In a world of a population of some 8 billion people, the term has been thrown out, 1 billion Christians, 2 billion Muslims, by the way, 1 billion Christians, uh, I tend to look at that and think that's a generous number. You see, the, the brass text of it is that, that the Bible tells us and our Lord tells us that not all will be saved. Of all of those people, is, is there perhaps an eighth of them that are true believers? Or is it a tenth? Or is it a sixteenth? Or is it a twentieth? We don't know. But our Lord told us this. He said that, that uh, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the gate. Preacher, are you saying it's hard to be saved? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that many just won't be. Because of the love of iniquity, because their hearts are darkened, because of the call of this world is more important to them than the priorities of our Lord, they will refuse Him and walk away from Him. They will miss His blessing, and ultimately they will miss the catching away at that time when our Lord takes us home. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that number, and I want to leave this place just as soon as possible. I look at the events around me today and I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. I mean, everything I've got is, is broken or is breaking right now. And, uh, my mechanical abilities get less and less every year and my, and my patience is certainly less than it is, uh, last year. And I just say, Lord, let's just leave all this behind and let's go. Let's go. I look at the the world around me and I have to think, though, in my mind I have to think things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And I don't know when the Lord is going to say enough is enough. He's looking at the morality of this world. He's looking at the indecency of this world. He's looking at all of the atrocities that take place across the globe in this world that we live in. And at some point he will say, That's enough. It's enough. And when is that point? Well, I think it's when the investment doesn't match the return. Now, there's a great investment of evangelism in our day and time. There's a great deal of sowing that's taking place. Perhaps not a lot of reaping for the sowing. But ultimately, it it will be less and less and less. But you see, that's the gracious thing about our Lord. He is so gracious. He is so merciful. He is so loving. His loving kindness, as our Bibles say, that he continues to forbear and to wait and to, to show his patience to us and to lovingly call us again and again and again, reaching out to us and, and describing to us what we can have in him, the blessing that we can find in him, the hope that we have, the future that's available to us. 
And we think, why wouldn't anyone want that? But the Bible says, when iniquity abounds, the love of many grows cold. And the more the iniquity is in this world, the more the love of many will grow cold. We live in a world of iniquity today, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, our Lord is describing to us this thing, this good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, he says, it's going to be preached. And I remind you of this. There is one gospel. The, the word gospel simply means the good news. That's what the word gospel means. When we talk about the gospel, we're preaching the gospel. There's nothing secret or, or mysterious or dark about that. It means we're preaching the good news, and the good news is always Jesus. He is always the good news of this world. He's the only good news of this world. And his word will be preached. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus is relating to us. And what he's telling us is this. There is only one gospel. There's only one good news. There's always been only one good news. And that is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace through faith in the Lord. We look at that and we're troubled at times because we think, well, what about a long, long time ago? What about uh, before Christ came? Well, even in Genesis, even with Cain and Abel, the Bible says Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. That he offered up a blood sacrifice. He offered a lamb before the Lord. He offered up one as he would shed that lamb's blood upon that altar, looking ahead to a time when Christ would be the ultimate sacrifice for his sins. Now, he didn't understand that, I don't think. He couldn't comprehend that in any way. But by faith, he did that. He acted in obedience and he received the blessing. Cain, on the other hand, did what is still happening today. He offered up his own works. He offered the best he had. He offered up his uh, his fruits and his vegetables, and I'm not saying they weren't top-notch. I believe they were. But it was what he did that he was offering. The work of his hands. You see, with Abel, it wasn't the work of his hands at all. He wasn't the one on that altar. It was an innocent lamb that was slaughtered upon that altar. It wasn't his work that was approved. It was the sacrifice that was approved. And today in our day and time, men are still offering up their own works upon the altars of this world and saying, surely that's good enough. Surely a loving God would not send me or anyone to hell for that matter. Surely this, if this place does exist, that, that God, if he really is a God of love, would not send us there. So I'll do the very best that I can and I'll just hope that the scales weigh out good in the balance in the end. But the Bible plainly tells us that our best is simply not good enough. We must have the blood of Christ upon our lives. You see, there's only one gospel. There's only one way to avoid the punishment of hell. And that is through salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always been that way. Today, you and I, we worship Christ, and what do we do? We look back to the cross. We're reminded it is the cross, the central figure of all history, where men looked forward and men saw it themselves, and now today we look back and we say, there upon that cross is where Jesus purchased our redemption. And the proof of that was given on the resurrection 
on Easter morning when Jesus rose out of that grave, the acceptance of his sacrifice was seen before all men. And it is a record for us today. There's only one good news and there's only one way to get to heaven. But you see, the thing is, it's uh, contrary to what the Bible says, it's not easy to go to hell. It's not easy to do that because the Lord deals with us so graciously in, the, in this age of grace that we call it. This, this time, this dispensation of grace that our Lord has given to us. Where His grace is poured out to us and His, His Spirit reaches out to us and He calls to us. And He knocks upon our hearts and He reaches into our lives and He says, Hey, remember me. I'm still here. I still love you. I still want to do something great in your life. And we either choose to accept that or we choose to reject it. And we have to continually reject it all the way to the very end of our lives. And ultimately when judgment comes, you and I will say that our Lord is just in his judgments. We will understand that, that he was just in all things. He was more than gracious. He was more than loving beyond what we can begin to imagine. He was more than fair with us in all ways. And we look at our lives at times and we see the times that we have rejected Christ, the times of our disobedience before Christ, the times when we have resisted his spirit or quenched his spirit or even denied his spirit. Refused it as such. And that's a painful thing to us as we try and serve the Lord because we understand the closer we draw to him, the closer he is to us. That's what our Lord says. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Now you see, Jesus is always there. He's always pleading. He's always working. He's always knocking upon the heart. But what he says is this. He says, when you surrender your life to me and when you give in to me and you allow me to come into your life, he says, you will find that I am right there. I am closer, he says, than a friend. I'm closer than a brother or a sister for that matter or a mother or a father. And we find out that he's all that we need. It is the good news of the kingdom. That he preaches to us even in this day and time. Well as we look at this time of holocaust. This time of tribulation. The Bible tells us this as as we've looked at. It tells us that the church is gone. It's taken out of this world. And evil is is unleashed. And Satan and, and his demons are unleashed from the very pits of hell. And what we consider to be an immoral world in this day and time will be a playground compared to what it is in that day and time when all of these events begin to take place. And as we've looked at and talked about the, the iniquity of this world and, and love growing cold and, and all of the problems around us, and yet Jesus describes to us today this situation, he says, and still in the midst of that, still in the midst of that, I will call out, I will seek out, those who will come to me. And that's what he desires to do. He's given us that opportunity today to rule and reign with him as the bride of Christ. Or we can choose to serve him in that day and time. The Bible tells us this. It tells us that even during this time of tribulation, 
that God is still going to work. He's still going to try and bring a remnant from this world. Now that's good news. In case we're, we've got plans to miss the first flight, that's good news for us, somewhat. Well, maybe not so. Maybe not real good news. Because the Bible tells us this. It says, first off, a third of the world is going to perish through famine and hunger and pestilence and disease. And then it says a fourth of the world is going to perish after that. And basically the the population of earth will be trimmed down from eight to four billion people. And so maybe that's not such good news. Problems on every hand. And remember, this is the good news. This is the good part of the tribulation. Because it gets worse from there. Now, the Bible says this, that God is still going to reach down. He is still going to send, it says, 144,000 witnesses forth to do his work. And, And we're going to take a look at that quickly this morning. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. We'll look at those words and see what Jesus is is speaking to us about when he talks to us about this gospel of the kingdom that's going to be preached. Now he says it's going to be preached for a witness. That word witness in the Greek is the word that you and I use for martyr. When you think about what a witness really is, it is one who is a martyr for Christ. It is one who has surrendered his life to Christ and now is fully consumed with following Christ no matter what the consequences may be. Perhaps we don't think about being a witness in those terms in our day and time. When you and I go out and we approach friends or loved ones, are we willing to lay our very lives on the line in order to share with them the good news of Christ? Sometimes we're not even willing to lay our feelings on the line, let alone our lives. But that's the idea of a witness, a martyr for Christ. And truly, in this day and time that we're speaking of today, this future, this tribulation, those who witness will be martyrs for Christ. Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7, and let's let's take a look at, at verse 1. Revelation 7, 1, it says... After these things, I, this is John the Revelator speaking, he says, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. What is this, four corners of the earth? Well, there's four points to to a compass. We understand that. There's north, south, east, and west. The Bible is not archaic. It's not saying the earth was flat. It's not saying that there's actually four corners. But that is an expression. It's an idiom that was used in this day and time, and we still use it today. It's a a tool, uh, a term of navigation that's still used, the four corners, the four winds. And verse 2 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 
And if you have a pencil, you may want to underline that word Israel at the end of verse 4 because the Jehovah Witnesses say that they are the 144,000, but they are not of, as as Revelation 7 goes on to describe to us, in great detail of the tribes of Israel. 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes that are listed for us here. 144,000 together in totality. So this is good news for the Jews. It's not so good news for the Gentiles. Because now we understand that God has once again, working with one economy, his attention is shifted to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation. Now he is desiring to make up a nation of believers from the Jews. You see, God made a promise with them. He made a covenant with them. And God doesn't renege on his promises. There's no expiration limit on the promises and the covenants of God. They are, it says, there for us. There is no taking away of them. And they will continue on until they are fulfilled. And so God unleashes upon this earth, it would seem, uh, these witnesses, these who will come forth, this 144,000 who will stand and will preach. And the Bible simply telling us that they are sealed with the mark of God. That God has placed upon them an authority. He has placed upon them some sort of a mysterious uh, protection, perhaps. And the idea of sealing is simply this. If you seal a letter, no one else can see the contents of it. Now, they know there's a letter there, but they don't know what's inside. Now, that's an idea of the sealing here. The sealing, uh, it, it speaks of a mark of ownership. It speaks of a mark of protection. So if we're sealed to the Lord, it speaks of ownership to the Lord and protection. And that's what the Bible says, that you and I, as the saints of God, are sealed to the Lord. We are we belong to Him. He's going to work in our lives. He's going to protect us. He's going to intercede for us in this world. And He's going to use us for a work. Now you say, well, not like these guys. I mean, these guys, they're... These 144,000, they're... They are running around as witnesses for the Lord, proclaiming the Lord, evangelizing for the Lord, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, that's what we're called to do in our day and time. So much the more as you see the day approaching, the Bible says. And so we're called to be busy about the Lord's business. And besides these 144 evangelists, the Bible says there will be these two witnesses. Perhaps Moses and Elijah there also returning. And the world will see these things. And the question is, how many of them will be saved? The Bible says there will be some saved. We understand that from Revelation 7. Seeing those before the throne of God. And they're crying out and they're saying, how much longer? I mean, things are bad down there, Lord. Have you looked around? Things are bad. If you make it through to the tribulation, if you make it through the disease and the pestilence and the problems that are there, if you happen to be one of the two that's left, if you're fortunate enough to be in an area like we are here where you can you can be alone and and get alone and and perhaps survive for a while, and you profess Christ and you come to the Lord and, and you receive Him, my advice is this, receive Him quickly and then pray to die quickly. Pray that disease gets you. 
Pray that uh, perhaps you run out of food. Pray that some marauder comes through the, 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 the community and kills you and your entire family quickly. That's the best you can hope for. Because the Bible says those that don't, those that continue to live, eventually will face the torment and the torture of this world until ultimately they are taken out, paraded on TV, and somebody cuts their head off. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. That wouldn't happen in this day and time. Or would it? Or has it? Twice in the last two weeks. And we say, this is terrible. This is awful. And then we go on about our business. Now I wonder what's on TV. I wonder what's going on in the entertainment industry. And our, our world goes on, right? Our world goes on and on and on. And you and I would like to think there is some point, there's some place, there's some time when, when the atrocities would be so great, so horrific, that the world would stop still and say, this is enough, this is enough of this. But it's happening right before our very eyes in our day and time. God promises there will still be evangelism. Well, let's look at one last scripture here before we close this morning. Revelation 14, speaking of evangelism. In Revelation 14, beginning with verse 6, it tells us about angels. Angels flying across the sky. Proclaiming, It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, that great city. Because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The 144,000 have been the infantry and now here comes the, uh, here comes the aerial support, I guess we would say. Released into the air, these three angels come. And they're simply coming with a message. If we could just, just summarize it. The first angel is saying, turn to God. It's very simple. That's what he says. Turn to God. You see, you and I face three things in this world. We face the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Bible says. We've got three problems that we face. We face the world around us. We face the flesh within us. And we face the devil, who is constantly picking at us and nagging at us. And this is what the angels say. They say, first off, turn to God. Turn to Him. The second angel simply says this. There is nothing here to hold on to. And how true that is in our day and time as well. The third angel simply says anyone who worships the beast and turns from Christ will be tormented forever. What's the answer to the world? We understand there's nothing here to hold on to. What's the answer for the flesh? We turn to God. We receive Him and we trust in Him. 
What's the answer for the devil? He's scheduled for torment. You and I are not. We were never scheduled for that. We're scheduled for greater things. God has a greater promise, a greater hope for us. Evangelism goes forth. It goes forth today. It will go forth in that day and time. In that day and time, the Bible says that God will gather a remnant together. If you're not Israel, your chances are probably slim and none. But in this day and time, he's still saying those same things. Worship God. Turn to God. Turn away from this world. And take the mark that God has for you upon your life. And after that proclamation, it just gets worse from there. Good news, right? It just gets worse. Well, that's, that's, that is the good news for us because God has an escape plan for us. He has a way out of all of this for you and me. He says, you don't have to go through those things. You can avoid those things. My intention today isn't to scare anyone or, or, or to motivate any of you by fear, but to simply open your eyes to see these events, these horrific events that are described to us. Worse than any story that could be written, yet they are true. Because Jesus spoke them from his own mouth. And if we're going to believe the words of Christ, we've got to believe the words that are written here. True events that are to come. Stand with me, if you would, this morning. People are in tribulation every day. There's Yes, there's coming tribulation, but people are in tribulation every day, every hour. The tribulation of this world, the persecution of this world, the problems that we face, the priorities that we make. But God gives us a time. He gives us a moment to stop and to look around and to see. To see the events of this world. To see the events that are to come. To see his goodness and his redemptive grace. And to receive from him. My question for you this morning. Have you received of the Lord? Are you following him? Are you serving him? Are you trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior? Don't take a chance that there'll be tomorrow and the next day and the next day because we don't know. We simply don't know. What's left before Jesus comes? Nothing. The Bible says there's nothing left. The next sign that you and I see will be the sign of Christ calling his church home. And it could happen at any time. Are you ready? You say, preacher, I've heard this all my life. So have I. But I've never seen the things go on in all my short 56 years like we've seen today getting worse you say well maybe they'll get better don't take that chance if the Lord is speaking to you this morning would you come and receive what he has for you
Do you know that you have peace with the Lord this day? Are you assured of that in your heart? Is that issue settled with you? Because if he's knocking on your heart's door, don't refuse him. Father, we come before you this day in your precious name. Thankful, Father, for your precious blood that was shed for us. Thankful, Father, for the way of salvation that you provided for us. And I pray this day, Father, that you would gather us up near to you. Show us your glory once again, your love. Reveal more of yourself to us, Father, as we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. As we desire you. Be our strength and our blessing. And Father, may we bless your holy name. May we be witnesses for you. And do the work that you have for you. And trust in you in all things. Until that day, Father, that we see you face to face. And worship before your throne. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify your name. And all God's children say, Amen. May the Lord bless you this day. Thank you for joining us at New Mansion Church Online. We would love to connect with you at newmansion.org. You can connect with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Marsh Sr. at pastorjeffmarsh.com. God bless, and we hope to see you again soon.